The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. AT&T, Lake Tahoe, and lead lingering in phone cables, some from the turn of the last century, measuring safety with the Environmental Defense Fund's Tom Neltner. I had no idea that there were so many lead pipes out there. Are these pipes really there? These lead cables really there? And if they are, are they releasing lead into the environment? And we found that in the affirmative. Dipping into chips, author of Chip War, Chris Miller, on the C-suite's concerns over semiconductors. I think all of the CEOs that have been visiting Washington also realize what's at stake for the U.S. in security terms as well as in economic terms. Those stories and Tesla's earnings call disappointing investors. Apple getting into AI. Some engineers are calling Apple GPT. Plus, do you know where your Netflix password is? Who's watching what? And who's watching you? I think the ones that are cheating are calling up their nephew and saying, hey, knock it off, get your own subscription. Yeah. It is Thursday, July 20th, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin, all back together again. Netflix shares under some pressure this morning. This after its second quarter results, earnings topping expectations at $3.29 a share. That was versus the 286 analysts had forecasted, but revenue just missed the mark coming in at $8.2 billion. That was uh, versus an estimate of $8.3 billion. Subscribers also blowing past estimates, adding $5.9 million, uh, thanks in part to streaming giants' password crackdown. I was part of that crackdown recently. Not, Wait, not that I was cheating on the, but I, I went to a different location and all of a sudden it was asking me whether I wanted to upgrade my plan. Oh, it wouldn't let you So I, what'd you do? I, I didn't ultimately do it. I ended up just, well, I, I was trying to transfer it to an Apple TV uh, through my iPad. Anyway, I, but, but, but do your answer, I was not one of, I was not one of the 5.9 million, but not, not a, a, you know, this isn't like my uncle or my nephew or this. It was, it was me. It was you. Yeah. It was me. See, that's what I always wonder about. Like, are you, does that mean if you have a second house or if something happens, right. you're just automatically going to have to? I think that's where this is all, all headed. Probably. The question is whether Probably others are going to do no other way to thing. do it. But. Yeah. Uh, company also now saying it is I mean, that's what you have to do with cable. Right. Yeah. It is forecasting revenue of $8.5 billion for the third quarter, up 7% year over year. I mean, they lost a, a year ago, they lost a million subscribers. So it's really... Yeah. Good, but it, I immediately thought, okay, that happens once. Right? What, the growth in subscribers if you get new subs? Yeah. No, for, for the past material, you, you can change that once and you get the nice bump. But then it, the company points out it hasn't done it in the rest of the world. So there could be another quarter where, where you have a decent bump. 
get a, a decent pump, but it's not something that's going to be recurring. You can't. You know, I, I, I thought about it, and it, there's not a whole lot of risk to them to doing this. It's not like people who are paying for it are going to shut it off as a result. You might not get the password. Right. The number of people to say, okay, we will now add it as well, even though we've been cheating, but it's not like you're going to lose your original subscribers. Right. I think the ones that are cheating are calling up their, their nephew and saying, hey, knock it off. off, get your own subscription. Yeah, right. From here on out, it's going to be writer strike and actor strike that did these things this. are going to be. Yeah. King but of all of the companies that are out there, for, the best, on that front, these guys may be in a better better shape. Plus, I think one of the things we learned yesterday was just how international, because of That's how the international the Netflix business is, and not just international in terms of the subscriber base, but because of the, the where they do so much of the production yeah. and their ability to do dubbing, their ability to do dubbing and other and other kinds of things, unaffected by the strike. Although, I, you know, I, I learned that yesterday, too. I didn't realize right. that, that they would have more content. I don't know how interested I am in watching a bunch of dubbed, you know, some of the, Yeah, but some of the series, the most popular was, series was, was dubbed. The, what was the suicide? What was the, the games one? What was the... Was Squid Games? Squid Games. Well, there was Squid Games, but then there was... Um, I saw some that I liked, but... Oh, what was the weird. great one? It was a Spanish... It was, a Span it, was, it was right up our alley. Heist. No, Money the Heist. Money Heist. Yeah, it I didn't like Spanish that drama yeah. that was dubbed. I and tried to watch that. It was too was weird. The was so good, though. Yeah, but it, the, the, I, didn't, I, did, I didn't get past the first episode. There were some, I did see a couple, and there was a guy in, uh, there was a, a I don't know, it, it, it was either Denmark or somewhere, and I actually watched the whole series, and you've got to get used to it. you definitely got to get used to it. You've got to get used to it. You've got to get used to it, yeah. You, you might get used to it next, next month or two. But, and the, there was the guy from Game of Thrones. That, that wasn't dubbed, but uh, remember he was from Game of Thrones, and then he played a, like, a, a, um, like a CIA-type agent. I forget the name of that one. That was a good one, but that was, that was only UK, I think. Tesla falling despite an all-time high quarterly revenue and lower mar margins thanks to price cuts and incentives. The stock price remained flat after the initial report, but began dropping during the earnings call as Elon Musk and other executives failed to deliver precise specifics and the start of delivery dates for the Cybertruck and for the robo-taxi-ready vehicle. The stock right now down by about three and a third percent. Phil Abo joins us with more on that. Hi, Phil. Hey, Becky. This is one of those cases where it was a sensational quarter in terms of the numbers that Tesla put up. But the call left people kind of saying, eh, is that it? The company on the conference call reiterated a 2023 delivery guide of 1.8 million vehicles. That's part of the disappointment from investors. Elon Musk on the conference call was asked about the valuation of Tesla, where it is right now, and where he sees it going. Listen to this in terms of how he sees Tesla getting to a valuation 10 times greater than where it is right now. To a 10x. Well, maybe not these days, but call it a 5x <laughs> uh, increase in the value of the company, maybe a 10x. Um, and uh, but the, the, where things go along the way, the, the trials and tribulations and the mood of the mood of the markets, one cannot predict. It's not going to be a straight line. I mean, we've heard this before from Elon Musk. As you take a look at shares of Tesla over the last three years, the company uh, spent a good portion of the conference call last night talking about its investments in the Dojo uh, supercomputer, if you will, focusing on artificial intelligence, how that will make the company uh, operate more efficiently in the future. They're going to be spending more than $1 billion on artificial intelligence technology. Overall, guys, this is a case where you had numbers. If you were a Tesla investor 
where you say, wow, they are delivering. They are doing what we want them to do. But you wanted to hear more during the conference call. You didn't get it. And that's why you see the stock selling off a little bit. Hey, Phil, also, you look at that stock chart and there has been a real run in Tesla shares. You know, pullback of two, three percent doesn't seem like a huge issue, especially when you're not saying anything about future margins, pulling on any of those points. Do you get the sense that some of the investor base at this point is okay with these longer term plans to try and build, um, you know, everything from infrastructure to the full self-driving that other car manufacturers could potentially use? It just seems like a lot of things that they're doing now that look for a much longer roadway. And maybe there's some investor belief in that at this point. I think the investors 100 percent buy into it. Look, it has long been. Uh, a thematic stock, if you will. If you buy into the vision of the future that Elon Musk has been uh, selling us over the last 10 years, 15 years, you like this stock and you like the investments that they're making. And look, there was nothing on this call that was a red flag. Phil, thank you. You bet. Apple shares popping yesterday uh, after reports. Uh, the company is quietly working on AI tools to challenge open AI. Bloomberg reporting that the tech giant has built its own framework for large language models called Ajax that includes a chatbot service some engineers are calling Apple GPT. Shares gained more than 2% to a record high after the report. And the stock right now, uh, as you can see, uh, is down fractionally less than... Uh, can anybody remember all of these AI things at this point? What, what is it, Doge that Tesla just talked about? Yeah. Apple, GPT. There's another Chat one. That, GPT. One that had a, 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 a fancy you have, you have inflection. Name. Blue yeah. or you have inflection, you have Bard. Bard. Bard, that's, Bard, that's the one from yeah. Google. Yeah. What else are we missing? Inflection from Reid Hoffman. I need a list so I can keep I think we're missing models. one other for the, of the large language models, and then it gets complicated because yeah. you get to the small ones. Cheese will be next. Up next, AT&T's legacy lead-wrapped cables. What's the risk of moving them now or not? The man who designed the tests measuring safety from the Environmental Defense Fund, Tom Neltner. Well, we didn't ask him to stop plans to remove from Lake Tahoe. What we said is for underwater cables, disturbing the cable, moving it around, especially in areas with a lot of sediment and silt uh, along the Hudson, for example, you can release and make a bigger problem. So you have to do it thoughtfully and carefully. And AT&T took that to say that means that we should stop work in Tahoe. Squawk Pod will be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. I'm producer Katie Kramer. Now, for a big story brewing for telecoms, lead-wrapped cables in public spaces. Here's what happened. 
In 2021, AT&T was sued by the California Sports Fishing Protection Alliance over the presence of two lead-clad cables in Lake Tahoe. AT&T announced it would remove those cables, decades old, but this week, AT&T said they won't be removing the cables after all, at least not yet. Last week, the Wall Street Journal published a deep investigation into the Lake Tahoe cables, the water surrounding that area, and cables in other locations around the country. And in this investigation, the journal charges AT&T, Verizon, and other telecoms with abandoning some 2,000 toxic lead cables on poles and under waterways like the Detroit River and the Passaic in New Jersey. They're in soils, too, even at playgrounds and bus stops. Now, in the wake of the Wall Street Journal's reporting, AT&T's stock fell to a 30-year low earlier this week. But for its part, the company said these cables represent less than 10 percent of its copper footprint. AT&T says its plan to keep the cables in place is consistent with a letter to the EPA from California organization Below the Blue and another advocacy group, the Environmental Defense Fund. That fund, the EDF, asked the EPA the government organization, to assess the condition of the underwater cables before removing them to determine the harm lead exposure could cause to the public. This is a very complicated and evolving story. I'll let Becky Quick take it from here. AT&T says that less than 10 percent of its network has lead-covered cables and that the telecom company actually halted plans to remove two lead-clad cables from Lake Tahoe after a Wall Street Journal investigation charged that AT&T and other telephone companies abandoned thousands of toxic cables on poles, underwater, and in soil across the United States. Tom Neltner is the Environmental Defense Fund's senior director of Safer Chemicals. He was involved in developing the lead testing protocols in the Wall Street Journal's investigation of abandoned telecom cables. And Tom, you've been uh, studying lead for how many years? Oh, Becky, good morning. I've been working on this for over a quarter century, um, mostly in Indiana, but nationally as well. I mean, talk a little bit about lead, because in talking to you yesterday, I learned a lot of things that I didn't understand before. Lead is pretty pervasive. It's naturally occurring. It's not like PCBs that were man-made. So it is everywhere. Were you surprised by what the results of this journal investigation found? I was. As I said, I've been working on this for a quarter century. And about a year and a half ago, when I first learned of it, I was shocked. I had no idea that there were so many lead pipes out there. So shocked that we decided to invest in getting a contractor who knew how to go out in the field and do dives and investigations to go out and take samples to figure out, are these pipes really there? These lead cables really there? And if they are, are they releasing lead into the environment? And we found that in the affirmative. And the Wall Street Journal did a great job of looking at that issue, but going much further and confirming that the lead that was in the soil was from the same was the same lead that was up on the cables strung between telephone poles, or was in the wa- uh, was in the pipe that's running under the water uh, right near it. This has caused a lot of consternation in the stock market as analysts try and figure out, analysts and investors try and figure out what the potential exposure is for all of these companies. AT and T stock hit a 30-year low earlier this week. Verizon shares had a 13-year low earlier this week. And, uh, you know, the company has kind of pushed back. AT&T has said, look, this is not our entire network. Part of the reason that AT&T got hit so hard is people said it's got the most of the leftover uh, cables from Ma Bell and those older cables. You said some of them going back to the 1800s are the ones that are of the biggest concern. Um, AT&T says it's less than 10 percent of its cables that are out there, if you're looking at it. And not only those, ca- but of those 10 percent, they're talking about 
only a third of them, I think, that aren't buried in sediment where you would not bring these things up anyway, that are encased. Um, a lot of people trying to figure out, get their arms around this. And there have been some questions raised from the journal's reporting of a, it being an independent investigation, not knowing that you and other environmental groups were involved. What would you say to all of those concerns and questions? Well, first, we didn't learn, we had no concept of how broad the problem was until AT&T did a court filing out in California that said that they have 66,000 miles. That'll go around the earth two and a half times of cables that are running either between telephone poles or running underwater. That is much farther than I ever imagined. I thought it was a very localized issue. As regarding the what Wall Street Journal said, you're best off asking them. I'm not privy to their decision-making. When we sent a letter to EPA on Monday asking them to investigate this issue, to really do a real risk assessment and figure out what the long-term solutions are, uh, that's the first time and we released our report that explained our relationship and our role in it. In, in that letter that you sent to the EPA, you asked that the company stop plans to remove the cables from Lake Tahoe. Why, why is that? Well, we didn't ask them to stop plans to remove from Lake Tahoe. What we said is for underwater cables, disturbing the cable, moving it around, especially in areas with a lot of sediment and silt uh, along the Hudson, for example, you, you can release and make a bigger problem. So you have to do it thoughtfully and carefully. And AT&T took that to say, that means that we should stop work in Tahoe. That's their decision. We're not involved in that litigation. What we are is saying that you have to be thoughtful about the underwater. But the ones, the, the thousands of miles run between telephone poles that have been abandoned, those are pretty easy to remove without any problems. And those are kids standing at the bus stops below those lines, not realizing that overhead is a, a lead pipe, a lead cable that may be dripping lead accumulating in the soil. They just don't know that. So it's best to just to remove those lines. What, what, what does lead do? I mean, I think a lot of people realize it can lead to um, mental deficiencies, not developing at the same rate. You've, you've studied this for a long time. Yeah, good question. Over the past 15 years, we've really realized that there is no safe level of exposure to lead. That's come through a lot of studies that every time they looked at lower levels of lead in the blood, they find that it causes harm. For children, which is where we're really concerned, it reduces the IQ. So there's a correlation between lower IQ. It's not a lot for an individual child, with a child with a low elevated, with a low blood blood level, you can't see a loss in IQ, but when you look at it across the nation, it's significant. For adults, it's kidney and it's heart damage. So cardiovascular disease is associated with it as well as kidney disease. You know, people look at remediation as one cost. They look at any potential effects on humans as another potential cost. But it's pretty hard to say when and where you might get lead poisoning. I mean, it used to be in paint. We've tried to remove it from um, most fuels, but it, it, it exists. It's naturally occurring and it exists in a lot of places. Well, it's naturally occurring, but much of, this, much of the lead that we're typically exposed to is from man-made activities, past use in lead and gasoline. But we still have it in our homes with lead-based paint, and we need to address that. Because when that paint comes off the walls, when it deteriorates and forms dust, we can get children exposed that are playing on the floor and you know, with the stuffed animal and then the blanket, that kind of exposure. And for those in Flint and across the nation, the federal government has invested $15 billion 
in getting the lead service lines replaced. These are the drinking water lines that connect the main under the street to homes. And that lead in the pipes gets into the water and exposes children and families. So in a spirit of healthy communities, we need to reduce, we need to prevent that exposure wherever. Because the water at low level, water, the lead still leaches into that water and can expose us, whether it's in a lake, whether it's in a stream, or it's in our drinking water. The water utilities do a lot to reduce that leaching into the water, but we still have this problem of drinking water through what's essentially a lead straw. Tom, I want to thank you for your time on this today. Tom Neltner from the Environmental Defense Fund. Coming up on Squawk Pod, tensions rise between the U.S. and China over chips. President Biden considering new restrictions on investments and the author of Chip War, Chris Miller, on what's at stake. They also want to make sure that restrictions are tightened in a way that hurt their competitors more than hurt them. And in particular, that means making sure that restrictions are just as tough on Chinese firms and firms from other countries as they are on U.S. firms. We'll be right back. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Up and Andrew, Q. Welcome back to uh, Squawk Box this morning. Uh, we're right here on CNBC Live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. All chips on the table following the Biden administration's meeting with America's largest semiconductor executives on Monday. NVIDIA, Intel and Qualcomm CEOs raising concerns over potential new restrictions on chip sales in China, which executives said would undermine U.S. leadership in the industry. What does all this mean uh, for the industry? That's the question. I want to bring in our next guest, author of Chip War. Associate Professor of International History at Tufts University, Chris Miller. Uh, by the way, for folks who have not read this book, you must. It is, it's almost like essential reading in this space. Chris, good morning to you. Thanks for having me. Uh, help us understand where you think we really are. I mean, how much you think this meeting really mattered? Was this theater? And, 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 and if you were advising the president, uh, what you would be telling him policy should be? I think the U.S. government's trying to strike a very delicate balance. On the one hand, it wants to keep tightening controls on China's access to cutting-edge chips, especially the types of chips that are used to train advanced AI systems. On the other hand, it realizes that for most of the biggest U.S. semiconductor firms, China's an absolutely critical market, one of the uh, key markets for all of the companies that you mentioned. And so the U.S. is trying to tighten these rules in a way that doesn't uh, excessively hit the sales of these firms. And it's a tough balance to be struck. I think all of the CEOs that have been visiting Washington also realize uh, what's at stake for the U.S. in security terms as well as in economic terms. The, well, the other factor here, please. Chris, let me just, just jump in. That's what I was going to ask you, though, about, about the companies themselves, which is what, what do they really want? Which is to say, what you'd think you'd really want is be able to sell more chips, um, or do you think that they also have a view that the security issues are as um, perilous as the administration believes? I think the leaders of these companies, they've got a, a responsibility to their shareholders to sell as many chips as they can within the boundaries of the law. But I think they also understand that tightening restrictions is the 
uh, way the political trend is heading in Washington. And so in that context, they also want to make sure that restrictions are tightened in a way that hurt their competitors more than hurt them. And in particular, that means making sure that restrictions are just as tough on Chinese firms and firms from other countries as they are on uh, U.S. firms. And that's something that I think the U.S. government has actually done a relatively good job at making sure that restrictions aren't written in a way that only hurt U.S. firms. Are you of the view that China is still able to actually get access to some of these chips that they're not supposed to? And, and I ask because there is this issue of, of the sort of circular sale of, of some of these chips, apparently, and you've seen the reports, being sold uh, to places in other countries that then effectively resell them, in some cases resell them again into China. There's no doubt that some smuggling is going on. I think the Commerce Department, which is in charge of enforcing these restrictions, has been bulking up its enforcement capabilities. But in order to import the scale of chips that you need to build an entire data center and train a large-scale AI system, that's a huge scale of chips. And so I think small-scale smuggling is unlikely to provide China the capabilities that it really needs if it wants to import the quantity of chips that's necessary for AI training. How far behind or far ahead do you think China is relative to, to us when it comes to chip manufacturing? Or, or how long will it take them to catch up to, frankly, not even where we are, but where Taiwan is, since we rely on Taiwan so much? Yeah, that's really the question, how far China is behind Taiwan. And we've seen over the past couple of months some evidence of progress in the leading Chinese chip makers. But the reality is that their rate of progress is no faster than the rate of progress of TSMC, the leading chip maker in Taiwan. And so as long as TSMC keeps racing ahead in its production capabilities, and they're the firm that produces chips for NVIDIA, for AMD, for Qualcomm and others, uh, they're going to stay ahead of the Chinese. Uh, and right now, the Chinese are really struggling to make any progress at catching up. Is there anybody else out there that we should be focused on that we're not? We always talk about Taiwan and TMC, uh, T, uh, Taiwan Semiconductor, but is there anybody who you think has a real chance of, of even matching what they're doing in the next couple of years? Well, the other two players for advanced monitor manufacturing are Samsung of South Korea and then Intel of the United States. And both of those companies are fighting hard for market share and also trying to keep up with TSMC's technological improvements. I, I think there's always a chance that TSMC could slip up or that one of these other firms uh, could leap ahead, and especially over the next couple of years as they transition from a type of transistor called a FinFET to an entirely new architecture. Uh, there's going to be a possibility for a catch up by either Samsung or Intel. Chris, the book is called uh, Chip War. As I said, uh, if you're if you're interested in this topic and you haven't read it, go out and do it because it's become the, uh, the sort of Bible on all these issues. Thank you so much. Thank you. I almost said at the top of the show. Well, it's hump day and we only got a couple. And then it finally dawned on me is today Thursday. Thursday. You missed it. Ed. That's what happens when you have a day off in the middle of the into, week. I'm not sure I like taking a day off in the middle of the week because you still got two left. And it didn't sure. really feel like a day off. It's, uh, Sorry. I had to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like two Mondays. <laughs> That's right. That's what Contina said. <laughs> like it's like two Mondays. taking a nap in the middle of the day. Two Mondays. Oh, my God. Days. Two Fridays. Too. Yeah. I like that. And that's the pod for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis and interviews from our TV show right into your ears, please follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow.
We are clear. Thanks, guys. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.